Welcome back to episode number 161 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're doing part two of this Ask Me Anything session on operator safety during handling and cleanup of hazardous dust. And this was a replay of a Dust Safety Academy session that we did with David Hakes, president and owner of XP Products, where we got his thoughts, his opinions on these challenges when it comes to handling um, hazardous dust, handling combustible dust, personal protective equipment, many other elements of how to safely remove combustible dust and handle dust, combustible dust at your facilities. In the first half of the episode, we covered things like lockout, tagout, operator training, shutdown of dust collection systems while the materials being removed, signage, and, and other aspects like that. In the second half, we take a range of questions from the audience around this topic. So things like what to do with the collected dust, how do we handle powder spills, recommendations on level of operator training, and how do you know when refresher training is needed, and several other questions like that. So without further ado, we'll jump into this Ask Me Anything session with David Hakes as part of the Dust Safety Academy. We have a question here about the dust itself, and what are some of the things that folks can do with the, the dust when it actually um, is collected? So let's assume the operator has now safely removed the drum and the material you mentioned a bit before about recycling. If we could break out some of those different options, you know, what are folks generally doing with the material? Well, you know, there's um, it's 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 always been considered, um, you know, a waste point in the plant, and many plants now are trying to minimize how much waste goes out of the plant or, you know, become a, a, a zero waste facility. But from from what I see, I would say let's just say half, at least half of the time. Um, if they don't have any use for the waste, they are using a, a different device like a forklift inside the plant to pick up these drums and dump them into a larger container. You know, that could be a, a four cubic foot, uh, four cubic yard vessel. It could be a larger vessel that they have a waste firm come in and, and pick up once a week or once a month. You know, the other option or the other things that I see are that, you know, if you've got a large dust collection system with a number of drop points uh, in some industries, you know, you're going to have a valve or a rotary valve on the bottom, and it's just going to connect directly to a pneumatic convey line. And you can convey that to a central point. So, you know, vacuum convey all that product that builds up in the dust collector to a common point where you can collect it. You know, that's where you get into some higher volume dust in larger plants with, you know, more dust volume where they don't want to, re, you know, remove a drum every four or five hours or two or three times a shift. You can just collect that into a, a central back system and then convey it to one point. Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense to have that split between facilities that are treating as waste. And also then you, you do see more frequently now facilities that are using that feedback into the process, using that to feed into a facility like maybe a pelleting facility that's you know adjacent on a on a different lot, or using that for some other kind of positive use. We did have a question here. Yeah, you just sort of mentioned this. How there's two parts to it. How often should folks be removing the waste stream or the barrels? And then there's a question about sensors. What kind of sensor options are there to if you don't want to do it on a time basis? You know, if you want to do it on a, a more informed basis. Yeah, this, this, is a, this is a good topic because it's coming up uh, quite a bit as processes start ramping up, manufacturers start ramping up, especially in the food industry. You know, we're getting just record expansion going on right now in, in food and specialty chem. 
So that, that puts a, that puts a little bit more of a toll on their uh, utility equipment and dust collection equipment. And as you're filling up a drum, typically in a lot of places, if your dust collectors are outside, they're set up on a, a daily or a weekly basis, depending on how much dust you're collecting. But the problem that occurs, and, and you can imagine as you have limited staff or you've got limited personnel and uh, you know somebody forgets, uh, you're overfilling a drum outdoors on a dust collector and it backs up into the dust collector and you, you create you know a whole nother slew of problems and issues that that go around that because now, now you're going to have a pretty good spill on your hands once you remove that drum so there are some good level devices uh, i've been using a couple myself over the last two or three years that can fix uh, to the top of a drum lid and again we, we we need to look at a system where the drum lid is fixed and then the drum just um, either uh, comes up and down or you can remove the drum. So that way you can put your level sensor on the fixed drum lid or the fixed spool. And there's a, a couple of, of, of units out there. Uh, there's an ultrasonic one by Vindicator. IFM's got a pretty good one that I've been using. It's a laser that has an adjustment. What we recommend is it's it's material dependent. We don't they don't work very well on on materials or dust that have a, a metal in them. And uh, but ninety percent of the applications where we're dealing with woods or plastics or any food, any organic materials, we've had some pretty good luck with two or three sensors. And and those should be engineered by somebody. It should be engineered to your dust collector. Uh, you need a fixed point on your dust collector to have that sensor. And then you need to have the ability to protect the sensor. So when you remove the drum or put the drum back in place, you don't damage it. I did. I meant to when we we're talking about sort of alternatives, talk about the XP drum kit. So I want to circle back to that. But you mentioned another thing, which is that these are, you know, engineered systems. And it's good to have help to come in to support you when you have questions like, you know, can I remove this guard because the thing keeps jamming? <laughs> and we did have some questions come in around, which I'll circle back to how to handle spills and 30 filter changes but i want to you and i talked earlier in the week about kind of things you're doing with sensors and that with the xp products drum kit it's probably worth just mentioning at this point you know what is the xp products drum kit how is it different than the type of solutions we've been talking about now and you know how does it address some of these challenges yeah i'll give you i'll give you my commercial if you want to hear it you and I have been in touch over the past few years, especially as, as, as some things like this get developed. So it, it was really started about six years ago in, in, in my garage. And what, what the impetus was, was, was a, a rotary valve injury. You know, I, I had a, I had a coworker at one of the plants, a, a pretty good friend that I knew for a while that um, had a serious finger injury as a result of rotary valve, rotary valve that my company installed. So we were, uh, we started, I started to look at different ideas of how can we move this rotary valve and still collect the dust and remain NFPA compliant. And um, the drum kit was sort of born out of that. And it's, it's, a, it's it, the device, the simplicity of it is really a, a fixed spool on the bottom of your dust collector. And we bolt our drum lid to that spool. So the drum base has to index up and down to remove it and seal to the bottom of the lid. And, and we uh, use a commercially available hydraulic lift to do that. So 
as we kind of develop this and develop the product over a number of years, uh, you know, we've gotten to the point now where we have almost 700 drum kits installed here in the U.S. over the past four years. And it's a lot of it is repeat business. So it's it's a safe device that is designed to uh, contain a deflagration. It meets the reduced pressure of the overall dust collector, as long as the dust collector is properly vented or properly protected. And the hydraulic lift on the drum allows you to roll the drum out and move the drum safely up to 800 pounds. Um, typically, uh, a full drum with material is going to be anywhere in that two to 400 pound range. So uh, the XP drum kit is just, it's been a great you know, option. Uh, it doesn't fill all the, the voids or, or issues that run into, you run into with rotary valves. And, you know, it's, it's the system's not designed for a larger container. It's a 55 gallon drum. We have a smaller one with a 20 gallon drum for lower profile dust collectors. And um, again, go to the website and you can see more information or videos on how the drum kit works, but it's really designed to uh, take the place of rotary valves where a rotary valve is just not a good application or it's just too dangerous. And, and then a, a side note, we've, we've developed a bag in bag out option that has been prototyped and, and been uh, in the field now for the last year. And we've developed a pretty good design for having a liner. So a bag inside the drum, you lower the drum, you can tie off the bag while the, while the bag is still connected to the, uh, the bottom of the dust collector. And then that allows the operator to remove himself from the exposure of the dust or contain the dust in a liner, pull the liner out if it's not too heavy, and then put the drum back in place with another liner. Yeah, and that makes sense. And we'll include in the, the resources, if you're watching the replay of this, just scroll down and there'll be a resource list there, um, linked to the XP products website and the drum kit. It really is something that you, you need to, to look at. And Dave's got some really nice videos there to see how it functions, but it's a containment option, right, Dave? So it actually, the explosion occurs yes. and it's able, strong yeah. enough to withstand it. It's an extension of the dust collector is really what it is. And, and you know, we, we've done quite a bit of testing. We've got our ATEC certification on it uh, about a year and a half ago. And, you know, what you're doing is, is you've got a, a rigid extension of the dust collector that's collecting the dust. So that additional volume has to be looked at and taken into account when you're doing vent calculations or suppression calculations and, that, you know, that kind of stuff we can help you with. We, we work with a lot of the large dust collector manufacturers, you know, on this. And, um, you know, we have the experience to just check that sizing for you and see how the additional volume of a drum kit impacts your overall calculations. That makes sense. And you can um, email me and I can pass you, Dave's. If you're into this live, we don't have the resources listed yet. Um, you can email me or you can also find, find Dave if you, uh, if you have his email as well. Send me an email and ask him about the system. It's interesting to see Again, just like Dave said, it's another tool in the toolbox and might be a, a good one to look at, especially for these type of materials that have challenges with, I don't know, things like feed screws and things like rotary valves and that where, you know, they tend to kind of jam up or get, I don't know, gummy and, and different things like that. This might be a solution that might help you there. So we'll, we'll let Dave field any questions for those as they come in. If you have any questions right now that you want to talk about, um, put them in the chat box and we'll make sure that Dave circles back to those. We do have a question about sort of the other side of the dust collector. We probably won't spend a whole lot of time on filter changes because there's some really good material available by dust collection companies. Um, we've had them before inside Dust Academy talking about this. 
you have a question about portable lights and tools for dirty filter changes, in particular low MIE dust. So I don't know, Dave, like I said, we probably won't go into a lot of detail on this because it's a whole other right. topic, but any sort of comments or things people should be looking at for filter changes and yeah. types of dust? There's, yeah, this, this is, I'm just going to talk in, in generalities here because there's, there's a lot of different filter types, filter manufacturers. You've got, you know, cartridge filters, bag filters, envelope filters, cinematic filters. So there, there's a wide range of filters. So how, I think the question is, uh, okay, we're, we're, we're changing out these filters and it, you know, you've got a hazardous dust. Um, you want to keep your ignition sources away. So anything it sounds like with lights, tools, whatever you're using, need to you need to be aware that that you know you you don't want to create an ignition source because you're, you know, it could be a, a product or a product that has has a low MEI. So I, I think from that standpoint, I, honestly, I've 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 looked into a, a couple of these safety supply companies that you know if it had, um, you look up low energy lights or you know tools that are explosion proof you know some air operated type of tools i think you just have to be aware that anytime you're bringing you know something like that in contact with a dust that's potentially explosive there there's a risk so it's 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 good to have anything that is is free of electric charge or electric spark along with it yeah, I think a big piece of that too is to understand the material you're you're working with. So you're probably going to want to know things like MIE, minimum ignition energy. Um, probably MIT if you're talking about lighting. You know what's the minimum ignition temperature? What's the minimum layer ignition temperature? So you can get an idea: is the systems that you're installing going to be a potential ignition source? You may have it takes some engineering expertise to look at that to evaluate your system to sign off on potentially what's going to end up being a risk based look at this but you know if you have an mit of um so many degrees celsius if you're in canada or fahrenheit down in the states um, and your lights aren't getting that hot then that may not be a credible ignition source so there's a lot of things to look at there but it's a it's a good topic the same thing sort of happens with this other sort of end of the spectrum how do we handle spills and this is actually one that we get questions about quite a bit through our help desk and 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 i i i, I struggle when we're asked this question sometimes it's like how big of a spill is you know a hazard or how how much dust in a spill it's like how big's your room okay yeah. the normal sized room it's not actually that much dust that you need to blow the thing up <laughs> is i mean to put it bluntly anyway that's uh that's my words not dave not dave's but let's more rewind back to uh you know how do you handle spills what kind of things should you be considering when you're you're talking about spills and thinking about what your standard operating procedure is in response to having dust spills just what you were you were hinting towards it's you know spill containment spill hazards have been focused a lot on liquids right you know there there's a a, a broad range of materials and publications for liquid spill containment you know hazardous spill containment how that's handled and how that's dealt with when you're dealing with powders it it depends on the powder if you know if you've got a, a hazardous uh powder and in some cases it, it's usually a chemical type of powder or some pharmaceutical grade type powder then you know that that cleanup procedure is 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 a little bit different uh, nine out of ten times if there's a spill in a plastics or a wood shop they get their shovel out and take the shovel and start shoveling it into back into a container and then they pull the vacuum 
out and finish up the job. I, I think what's important to realize there is, is the vacuum, you know, these plants need to have um, explosion proof vacuums in place because that's, you know, vacuum, portable vacuum systems can uh, ignition, uh, have generate a, a pretty good static discharge enough to, enough to exceed the MIE of that dust and potentially create a problem. So I, I'm not going to get into, you know, who's, who's vacuum cleaners out there. There's, there's a lot of good manufacturers out there that have explosion proof vacuum cleaners. And depending on the size of the spill, what I would just recommend for most plants is, is to have a, an SOP in place for uh, dust powder spills, similar to what they'd have in place for uh, liquids. And, you know, maybe it's, it's handled a little bit differently as far as what kind of PPE they're, they're putting on and, um, you know, spills with dust. You're not normally having it run like liquid and all the different cracks and crevices of the building, but, you know, it should be contained there. There are ways to contain it and there's ways to remove the dust without stirring up a bigger issue or creating dust clouds while you're cleaning that up. So, it's important to do it with a, a, a good vacuum cleaning system and one that is explosion proof. Yeah, we have seen, you know, cases of scoops. To rewind back, I guess, you do need to look at the material they're handling and understand the ignition hazards. A lot of that will be able to come out of the NFPA guidelines, both the general guidelines and the industry-specific ones. So you'll look at those and understand the cleanup options that you have. And then we have seen cases, you know, a sulfur explosion, I think three or four years ago mm -hmm. comes to right. mind where there's a spill yeah. from a bucket elevator. They cleaned up with a, a metal scoop. Uh, it ignited the, the dust and, and injured some workers there. Obviously blow down, you know, it's been well documented that causing a dust cloud during the cleanup process is, is, is very high risk using the correct equipment, using the correct tempo. You, you want to go slower rather than faster. Um, you do want to take some time to think about, the steps involved in a really good exercise that is to even beforehand write out your standard operating procedure, train folks on it. I want to get your opinion on those operators because I've, I've actually had this in just the last two weeks, I had this direct quote about spills. And it's like, you know, we've trained the operators and now they're so they're really scared whenever they see a little, unquote, little dust spill. Mm -hmm. um, and my, my thought is like, good, <laughs> almost right. constructive paranoia can be a positive thing sometimes. But I understand what that person's saying as well. But from your side, like what kind of recommendations are you making on the level of training that operators should receive with combustible dust and then their specific job roles in terms of things like cleanup and removing dust from dust collectors and that? Like, is it a once a year refresher? Yeah. Do they need to be able to do DHAs? Kind of what, what level are they looking at? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try and encompass this because this is, this is a, a broad topic too. But but basic training for a company, if they're bringing in an operator um, or anybody new into the plant, you know, they, they most most companies now have, you know, plant safety rules, right? They have they have a, a plant safety rules, which they follow and are updated. And that typically will go along with a series of videos a lot of the companies have. And I, I think it's important to include, you know, combustible dust in that, because if, if you're going to start putting up combustible dust hazard warning signs all over the plant or in doors and rooms, you know, unless they really understand what that is or what's going on, it, it, you know, it's good. Yes. That they're afraid of it, but what happens is they, they avoid it. So even when there's a problem, you know, now, now they don't want to go in there and, and help 
take care of the problem because they don't understand what's going on. So that initial training during the orientation process of the employee is is important. And I think it's it's, you know, combustible dust is it's a different hazard, but it needs to be understood in a similar way. It's not, you know, it, this is in most cases, it's not a pile of gunpowder, right? That's sitting on the floor that could just ignite with a small spark from a shovel. This is, you know, there are, the conditions have to be right. But at the same time, you're not, you're not, you're not going to go into the, the chemistry of a dust explosion or the physics of a dust explosion. As we know, Chris, it's quite complex. That's why it just a lot of times just gets avoided or ignored. But I would say that initial training is important. And just just talk about, you know, the fire triangle. We need ignition, we need oxygen, and we need a dust source. You know, before you get into the Pentagon, start small and let them understand the basics of how a dust explodes and what it takes to to get it to explode. And then that education process, I think, is going to is going to, you know, make everybody well, more well-informed to keep that plant running. I mean, a couple of things I'd add, showing um, examples of the facility that they're working in with the material they're handling is really helpful. I know we all look back at a lot of the classical large-scale catastrophic loss dust explosion events that we've had in the U.S. or elsewhere in the world. You know, if, if it was 20 years ago, they're probably going to feel pretty detached from it because <laughs> um, it won't seem that important. It's probably better to highlight I mean, like I said about BC Forest Safety Council, and they're they releasing these safety share updates. That's why I really like those. Um, they had one uh, hogger room. They had a jammed hogger in a in a wood facility. They went down and cleared it. And while clearing it, they caught on videotape a deflagration that filled the room. Luckily, nobody was injured. But that happened, you know, a few weeks ago. That's a much more powerful. So if you get tuned into those industry associations that are sharing that, sharing that with your employees is you know probably more of a powerful training tool than than some of the classical things maybe then and i don't want to maybe i won't name any but you know we all know what what's happened the last 20 years and could probably name the top five explosions in, in the u.s using something that's relevant that puts them in the context oh i clean the hogger out when it gets stuck you know this could be a challenge for me i don't know dave you found videos like that be helpful or material like that that is helpful for training folks yeah yeah that, that's a good point because i mean people they're, they're just so impactful you know um when you see a spill or you see really a, a small amount of powder and then possibly the, the explosion or deflagration that can be associated with it and there are those videos you can access you know those videos online and i think in incorporating some of that into your, your training with your people will will let them understand you know the seriousness of it. But you know you really you you have to weigh a lot of those things with training versus scaring people to death because you know dust yeah. explosions are uh, they're just a an unknown here and and we're trying to we're trying to take a topic that's pretty complex here and, and simplify it for. Uh, people who are just coming into a manufacturing facility and maybe have not had the background or training to understand what's going on. But um, yeah, you have to yeah try and keep that training simple and succinct, but show them what the potential problems are if if it goes. And I think um, plant managers uh, need that. Production people need that. You know, engineering managers need that. The awareness is 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 out there. It's becoming more and more. Your group, Chris, has, has been a, you know, again, it's just been a great portal for 
um, bringing all this information into one point. So I think hopefully more and more people can can use the information to train their people or or educate uh, people in the plant. Um, because what I'm seeing is the signs going up in the plant, which is good. You know, the community hazard communication is important, but you know, when you see a sign that says warning combustible dust, you know, there's all kinds of alarm bells going off and whether it's an operator, a vendor, or whoever it is that's in that plant, it really needs to be explained what that sign means and what's going on inside that room. Yeah. Those are really great points, Dave. And I'll add two things. Um, the dust safety Academy, there's a, should be a resource button somewhere. It's got videos and, and documents. We're populating that every week. Our goal is to have a really helpful video and a really helpful document go up every week. So by the end of this year, we'll have 50 documents. By the end of the next five years, we'll have 250. That's a really good resource. Um, it's publicly available to anyone to go check out. And if you have a question, just email, email me or email Dave. Say, I work in a facility that's creating this type of material. You know, we're trying to figure out training material. Chances are we come across it and we have a whole help desk system that our team will take that, search all the material we have and try to provide that OT. So you can always email me. Go to the help desk inside the Dust Safety Academy. That's another way to get to it. I've always said, and it's it's an old German saying, I think, and I don't want to say it in German, but basically translates to if we could only remember what we've forgotten, then we'd be a lot safer. <laughs> so if we if we could not forget at the same rate that we're creating new information, then you know we'd be in a better spot. So that's one of the reasons why we have that resource library is these are the great resources that are already available. You know, we can just have a place to find them and index them, and we're we're in good shape. We have uh, two questions that came in, one from Amy. Can Dave discuss the safe handling of drums once filled? Um, I'll let you handle We may have tackled that a little bit at the start, but um, anything you can expand on there, Dave? Amy, I think that um, when it comes to, you know, the handling of drums, and, and that's one of, the, one of the items that we're running into on the safety side is, is these drums can hold up to five, 600 pounds of a, of a dense powder. They're designed to hold up to 1800 or 800 pounds, which would be a liquid, but we're using them for dust and some heavier dust. So when you have a a four or 500 pound drum, now the dilemma becomes, okay, how do we get this thing away from the bottom of the dust collectors? And, you know, some companies have put together, you know, forklifts with extended lifts where they can pull the drum out. It, It can get pretty cumbersome and it's tough to do outside. You know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out the XP drum kit. You know, we, we have a dolly, a hydraulic dolly that, that lifts the drum and you can roll it away safely. But, you know, keep in mind that these things now have a center of gravity that's about 20 inches off the ground. So even when you start rolling them around or moving them, they will tip. And then you've got other issues. So you want to be able to secure the drum, hold it, um, whatever device you're using. But, um, yeah, you don't want to create a spill issue. But people get in a hurry. They're in a hurry and they've overfilled the drum and now they got to put another drum underneath there. So it's it's important to, uh, if you can use level indication, that's great. If you can't, just have a good means of safely handling that drum. Yeah, great, great points, Dave. Um, And really good question, Amy. I don't know if you'll be able to exactly address this one, Dave. It sounds like a little more complicated, but if there's any high level first points or even just saying that the person you reach out to you individually, but John, we have in a grain elevator is a rated vacuum system worth worth the cost and effective. I'm not entirely sure what the the meaning is there, but if you can derive the meaning and then provide any thoughts on it, that could be helpful for John. Yeah, I, th- I think you know grain elevators. Are, I mean, they've been notoriously that's kind of how 
than the education or information and dust explosions really came about. Those, those have been some of the worst past hundred years. And, you know, it's just, it's the nature of how grain operator or grain elevator works. But so I guess to answer the question, I, I, I think, yes, in any case where you have combustible dust using a, an explosion proof or rated industrial vacuum cleaner, you know, with, with a hose that is either, you know, a grounded or, or, or bonded or protected from static buildup, you know, is, is very important. So I know they're expensive vacuum cleaners, but um, they usually are, are built a little heavier duty they're, They do the job and, and they're going to be safer if you're in a, uh, in a combustible dust environment. Yeah. And I, I misread the, now I understand what the question was. Um, I was thinking of pulling a vacuum on the the, the bucket elevator itself, but um, a rated explosion-proof vacuum system isn't worth the cost and effective, which we had sort of discussed early. So that's a that's a really good point on those, Dave. You're going to need need that depending on what kind of dust you're dealing with. So it's a good question to talk with an experienced individual, preferably somebody who's not necessarily well. I mean, we for dust safety professionals, we have um, several you know vacuum manufacturers as part of that membership. If I, I, I don't mind saying this, you know, it's probably good to talk to somebody who's not trying to sell you a vacuum to get their input as well, but there's also knowledgeable about the hazards of combustible dust um, in various settings. Like, like, you know, Dave was seeing 400 plants and not 100 DHAs to, to get input on that. So really good question from John. We have another um, John question, different John. What are two to three questions you would ask operators to identify if it's time to give refresher courses and training, he says that he's all about getting critical mass of the plant, people in the plant that get it. So yeah, that's the question. What are a couple of questions that you would ask operators to identify if it's time to give refreshers? And I'll, I'll add to that. Maybe, you know, is it better to focus on a different time scale? Like how, how do we go about understanding when refresher training is needed? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, and again, it, it, it also depends on how quickly, you know, people or personnel are turning over. I mean, I, I would say probably every six months, if you've got somebody new, you know, uh, coming in. And I think the question, you know, you, you, you ask, I mean, you could almost ask anybody off the street, what is a combustible dust? And 90% of them or 95% of them aren't going to understand it. So I think if you ask, uh, you know, an operator, um, what do they know about, you know, the, the hazards of combustible dust or have they worked at a plant before where there's been combustible dust, you know, policies? Or do you have any experience with handling hazardous materials from another, you know, facility, another plant you worked at, whether it's liquid gas or chemical powders? But hopefully I answered some of that. I, I don't I, I think I know what they're getting at. But, you know, the training I think the training of operators is is always uh, something that you know companies have been trying to do without overwhelming them with just more information on um, you know the retention of that information is really pretty minimal unless they're doing that process or they're involved in in interfacing with that process on a daily or weekly basis. So um, again, the frequency of how often they come in contact with combustible dust or what area they're working in. But it really starts to become part of the plant culture. You know, I think that every plant is, you know, when I walk into a plant, and like you said, I've been into 400 plus plants now, and now I'm up over 140 DHAs, Chris, so we have to update my resume. But 
every plant, you know, you're, you're looking at, they give you a sheet and they say, here are the areas that you need to be uh, concerned with. And here are the hazardous chemicals that we have in the facility. You know, if there's an alarm, if there's any type of, of warning or if there's any type of escape of, of an ammonia or some other chemical spill, here's where you need to go or here's what you need to be aware of. You know, with with dust, I think you may not be going to that extreme with your outside visitors or contractors or vendors, but internally, you know, you, you're up, your people need to understand what combustible dusts are and understand what the potential hazards of those are. So just weaving it into the, the, the culture of the company is really uh, an important part. Yeah, thanks for that, Dave. And I think that's probably a great place to leave this session off. I will say that we are probably July, August sort of timeframe. We'll be coming with a lot more training material for things like this. So if you have questions, send them, send them our way and we'll incorporate in the training that we're developing. And the approach that we're taking is really to evaluate, to start with the group, the people that you're, you're working with, identify what their needs are, what the learning outcomes and goals are, and then create training based on that instead of the, the classical engineering way of taking a topic, breaking down to 20 different categories and teaching one category at a time, which is what, you know, what I've done classically as well. We're really trying to identify what the needs of operators are, needs of health and safety managers, the needs of distributor reps or whatever the different groups are that are influencing safety and creating the training that they need specifically. So stay tuned for that. We'll be doing a lot more of that going out through the rest of the year. Anyone wants to partner or wants to talk about what they need or what they think that should look like to have the best influence, um, we're doing it to, to reduce loss, to stop people from losing life and limb from, from combustible dust hazards. So we take any and all input and feedback on the process. Uh, we will get Dave's resume updated, his, his Dust Safety Science resume updated to, to over 140 now. Um, keep those going, Dave. We appreciate the, the work that you're doing with XP Products, with the drum kit, with us hazard analysis and the support that you're providing. Um, you're, you're a real asset to, to the community. So we appreciate that. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. And Chris, thanks again for, for doing what you're doing and getting this education out there. Excellent. I appreciate it. Thank you everyone for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week ahead and uh, we will be seeing each other, each other uh, in the Dust Safety Academy soon. So thanks a lot, Dave. And thanks a lot, everyone else for tuning in. And so that's it for this week's podcast episode. In the episode, we did a replay of this Ask Me Anything session with David Hakes, president and owner of XP Products on operator safety during handling and cleanup of hazardous dust. We covered a range of topics from operator training to lockout tagout procedures to PPE and much, much more. And in this episode specifically, we covered a range of questions from the audience inside the Dust Safety Academy. What to do with the collected dust? How do you handle powders, powder spills? Training materials for operators, safe handling of drums that are completely full, and other systems and material related to this core topic of safely handling and cleaning up of combustible and hazardous dust. As I mentioned at the outset, this was a replay of a session we did inside the Dust Safety Academy. If you want to get access to these trainings as we do them live, if you want to be in the audience, if you want to ask these questions to the experts, you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com and sign up there. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you do every day out there. 